daily devotional people. I love you. There. You did it. Those are the words of my son Silas just now for what I should record this morning before then signing off. But like my other son Timothy recently, these boys don't seem to understand that I have just a little more to say than that. Um, but I do love you guys. So I hope you'll stick with me today as we look at 1 Kings chapter 20. Uh, it's a long passage. I'll try to be somewhat brief in my comments. Um, but before we even begin by reading, let's ask the Lord's help that he would open the text up to us and enable us to see his son through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us an opportunity today as we look at 1 Kings 20 to just be humbled, to be humbled as people who sadly don't represent their God well always. We pray that you would forgive us for that. We pray that as we look at this text that we would be made glad, that we would be enlivened, that we would be um, ever more joyful by the God that we as your people, the God that we serve, the Lord God, Yahweh, Jesus. May we see him through today's passage. May we be spurred on and may we serve him better because of it. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 20. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army together. Thirty-two kings were with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and closed in on Samaria and fought against it. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and your children also are mine. And the king of Israel answered, As you say, my lord, O king, I am yours and all that I have. The messengers came again and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent to you, saying, Deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. Nevertheless, I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants, and lay hands on whatever pleases you, and take it away. And the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark now and see how this man is seeking trouble, for he sent to me for my wives and my children and for my silver and my gold, and I did not refuse him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. So he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that you first demanded of your servant I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people who follow me. And the king of Israel answered, Tell him, let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. When Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he was drinking with the kings in the booths, he said to his men, Take your positions. And they took their positions against the city. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? He said, Thus says the Lord, By the servants of the governors of the districts. Then he said, Who shall begin the battle? He answered, You. 
Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and they were 232. And after them he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000. And they went out at noon, while Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the booths, he and the 32 kings who helped him. The servants of the governors of the districts went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out scouts, and they reported to him, Men are coming out from Samaria. He said, If they have come out for peace, take them alive. Or if they have come out for war, take them alive. So these went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the districts, and the army that followed them. And each struck down his man. The Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots, and struck the Syrians with a great blow. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come, strengthen yourself, and consider well what you have to do, for in the spring the king of Syria will come up against you. And the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, and so they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And do this, remove the kings each from his post, and put commanders in their places, and muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled the country. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite one another seven days. Then on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the people of Israel struck down the Syrians 100,000 foot soldiers in one day, and the rest fled into the city of Aphek, and the wall fell upon 27,000 men who were left. Ben-Hadad also fled and entered an inner chamber in the city. And his servants said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they tied sackcloth around their waists and put ropes on their heads and went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Does he still live? He is my brother. Now the men were watching for a sign, and they quickly took it up from him and said, Yes, your brother, Ben-Hadad. Then he said, Go and bring him. And Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. And Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities that my father took from your father I will restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord, Strike me, please. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion shall strike you down. And as soon as he had departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. Then he found another man and said, Strike me, please. 
And the man struck him, struck him and wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way, disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. And as the king passed, he cried to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. The king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hurried to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life, and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. Who do you think is the more arrogant king in today's passage? Ahab or Ben-Hadad? At first, it certainly seems like Ben-Hadad, doesn't it? He sends messengers to Ahab, saying, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and children also are mine. And then, even after Ahab seems to comply with this claim of Ben-Hadad, Ben-Hadad then sends messengers back to him to say, Deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children, and to lay hands on whatever pleases not Ben-Hadad, but Ahab. The you there is not whatever would please Ben-Hadad. It's whatever would please you, Ahab. I want what pleases you. That's some real arrogance there on the part of Ben-Hadad, isn't it? And then in contrast to that arrogance we see Ahab respond in verse 7 by calling on the elders and saying, do you see what this guy is doing, what Ben-Hadad is doing? He's seeking trouble for me. And then we get even more arrogance on the part of Ben-Hadad in verse 10 when it seems that even politely Ahab is going to resist doing what Ben-Hadad is demanding. Ben-Hadad says, The gods do so to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people who follow me. Just mainly meaning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow you away with all the people that I'm going to muster to destroy you, Ahab. And then Ahab, again, is exercising some discretion here. He says, gently, in response... Tell him, let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. In other words, don't count your chickens before they hatch, Ahab, uh, Ben-Hadad, Ahab says. Um, so Ben-Hadad just really is showing some arrogance here as this passage starts. And, and even as it continues, because then Ahab, uh, again, in contrast to Ben-Hadad, Ahab is relying on this word from the Lord, the Lord is speaking through this prophet, saying that he's going to give Ben-Hadad and the soldiers into, into Ahab's hands. And Ahab says, who shall begin the battle? And the Lord says, you, Ahab, and, and Ahab goes. And so um, it's quite a contrast, even as the passage continues. And, and Ben-Hadad is out drinking himself drunk in the booths, not really taking this battle seriously, thinking he's just going to have an easy victory, him and his 32 helpers, kings that are helping him out. Uh, and then verse 18, I think you get the most arrogant statement here. When they learn that the uh, 
people of Israel are coming toward them. The soldiers for, from Israel are coming toward them. Ben-Hadad says, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. Which is pretty arrogant for him to say. and Pretty uh, rude, in fact, uh, for him to want to take as prisoner all of these Israelites who might just be coming out for peace. But the most arrogant thing that I think he says uh, up to this point is, is in the last part of verse 18. Or if they have come out for war, take them alive. Because now he's putting his soldiers' lives on the line. He's putting them in danger. When you fight in a war, it's much easier to just try to kill the enemy than it is to try to capture them, to try to take them alive. And so he just arrogantly is suggesting that either one, his soldiers will be able to just easily capture the Israelite troops, or two, that he doesn't even care if it's easy for them, they're going to try to take them alive regardless. They are to they are to take them as prisoners and not to kill them, even if the battle is slightly difficult for them. But up until this arrogant. point, the most arrogant thing has yet to happen because it's not until the Syrians are defeated by the Israelites that the Syrians then try to make a reason in their minds, come up with an excuse for why that happened. And so they say, oh, it must be that the gods, plural, that the Israelites worship, in and of itself, that's a wrong idea, but they think that the gods of the Israelites are somehow more powerful on the hills, but not in the plains. And this, the Lord takes offense at. And that's why in verse 28, he sends a prophet to Ahab to say, because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. So the Lord is doing two things. One, he is, a, he is coming against the arrogance of the Syrians here, expressed in this statement that the suggestion that Yahweh is not God over all creation, which he is. But he's also trying to teach Ahab the lesson that he, the Lord, is exactly that. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. He is God. There's a problem, though. The problem is that after the Lord gives victory to the to Ahab and the Israelites, verse 29, a thousand foot soldiers fall in one day, and then verse 30, even after that, 27,000 more men fall. They're crushed by a wall there. Even after that, even after all of this display of arrogance on the part of Ben-Hadad, and after this great victory that the Lord provides for Ahab, such that Ahab would know that he is the Lord, that God, the Lord God, is the one who is giving this victory to Ahab. There's a turning point. Because what happens next is that Ben-Hadad comes to seek for mercy from Ahab. He comes to seek for mercy from Ahab. And he does so very humbly, wearing sackcloth, putting a rope on his head, a sign of humility, a sign of having been captured by Ahab and the Israelites. What does Ahab do? Well, on the surface, it seems merciful, right? He, he says, oh, does he yet live? He's my brother. Ben Hadad, he's my brother. And he invites him up into the chariot. It's kind of funny how the servants there of Ben Hadad are like, oh, yes, 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 your brother, Ben Hadad, yes. I think it's humorous there, actually. But it's a turning point because what Ahab does is seem to show him mercy, but in reality, he shows him anything but mercy. 
because he agrees with Ben-Hadad as to how he, Ahab, can be appeased. He's going to receive cities back from the father of Ben-Hadad, who, who took them from Ahab, took them from Israel in a previous generation. Which isn't bad that Ben-Hadad wants to restore that. It's actually a good thing. But Ahab is content to receive them back and now to establish bazaars for himself in Damascus. A way to, to bring in more, more income, to have more influence in Syria, to have more of a presence there. Ahab is agreeing to terms here to be compensated for how Ben-Hadad has, has wrongly treated him. And we see Ahab's true colors by the end of today's passage, that he's not really showing mercy to Ben-Hadad, that it's a, it's a false mercy. It's really just greed masquerading as mercy. We see that in the way that he treats this young prophet who pretends to be a soldier in a war, who was entrusted with a prisoner of war who has now escaped, and as a result, this soldier, this apparent soldier, is asking for the king's help because he's going to either have to forfeit his own life or pay a vast sum of money in return for the prisoner of war that he allowed to escape. And how does Ahab respond to this scenario? Verse 40 so shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. In other words, he shows no mercy. He offers no help to this man, to this soldier who's seemingly asking for help from him. There's, there's no mercy for this man because this man can't really offer anything to Ahab. Not like Ben-Hadad could. But as much as Ahab's false mercy is on display in today's passage, his greed really masquerading as mercy, as much as that's clear in how he interacts with Ben-Hadad, it wasn't actually mercy that he was supposed to show Ben-Hadad. It was judgment. And so we get the words of the prophet who's dressed up as this soldier in verse 42. Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, Therefore, your life shall be for his life, and your people for his people. It's a terrible reality that Ahab secures for himself and the people of Israel because he wouldn't devote to destruction Ben-Hadad. He's brought judgment upon himself and the nation of Israel. And that's what we need as God's people. See, we don't only need the offer of mercy for all who would repent and trust in Christ. We also need judgment to be brought upon all of those who won't ask for mercy. We need restoration and healing. And God provides both in his son, the true king, the one who really does offer mercy, but the one who also really will requite and punish those who don't want his mercy the ones who would rather go on destroying and living greedily and trying to buy their way out of judgment. God will not have that. He will provide mercy for those who desire his mercy, and he will provide judgment for all those who won't. Which will it be for you today? Well, I pray that it will be the former. I pray that you'll go to God and seek his mercy. If you haven't before, if you don't know Christ Go to Jesus and receive that from him, rather than the judgment that he is ready to execute on all those who will ever refuse his mercy.
Let's ask him. Let's let's go to this fear, this this king in fear and trembling, uh, because that is what he is worthy of, of fear and trembling. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us your son, Jesus. Jesus, we pray to you now in recognition that we deserve your wrath. We deserve punishment from you, but you have come once initially so that we could receive mercy if we would but ask for it. And we do, Lord. We, we ask for mercy now. And we also recognize that you will come again and you will be bringing judgment. And so we pray, Father, that we would live in light of your son's salvation here, O oh, now, Lord. We pray that you would make us people who would uh, live as humble and uh, people who are in fear and trembling of your son and the judgment that he will bring one day. We pray that we would not only live in fear and trembling, but great gladness and assurance of salvation in this king who has willingly offered himself up to secure salvation for his people. We are not living in between two options. We are living one way or the other, and we thank you that if we are in Christ, we are receiving all of the mercy that you would have for us, Lord. We pray we would with humility and with uh, reverence today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I pray that you will have been uh, humbled and refreshed and uh, brought to your knees in your heart. the knees of your heart through today's passage. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.